The following sermon was delivered to Christ Central Church in order to further our knowledge and adoration of who God is. We pray that it displays the hope found in Christ and strengthens your faith in Him. In Genesis chapter 18, that's where we will be reading. We're going to cover the whole chapter this morning, so we won't have time to talk about every, every single verse in here. But I do want to start with that theme, the theme of intimacy with God. Now, that, that may strike you as a strange word to talk about our relationship with God being intimate. Um, so let me, let me just start by asking a couple of questions. See, on a scale of one to 10, how close do you feel with God? If you know how to answer that question, then you may have some kind of rubric for how you, how you are supposed to judge that question. But it's a difficult one to answer um, because how are we even supposed to understand our intimacy with God, our closeness to him? As I've already said, we, we've never laid eyes on him. He's not the person that we share coffee with in the morning. And to be honest, all human beings since the time of the garden, we've had our fair share of intimacy problems with God. And what is the picture that you even get in your head as you think about what intimacy with God looks like? Is it your grandmother? Or one of your parents that just seem to always be praying is it that person that always seems to be talking about Jesus? Is it the guy who always wears some kind of Christian t-shirt? Is it the person who can spout off Bible verses? What, what is intimacy? Is it the person who says, you know, um, I, don't, I don't smoke or drink or dip or... Is it, is it, is it legalistic? Is it, what, is it, what does intimacy look like with God? I think, um, this is my first time preaching Genesis 18, but I, I think that's the whole theme of these, these stories, these passages that we're about to read, is Abraham's relationship with God and what it looks like to be close to him. So what, what I want to do is to read all of Genesis 18 and then work through it and to see four possibly five if we have time, truths about what true intimacy with God actually looks like. To dispel the rumors that, you know, if you fall asleep while you're praying, you know, well, just, you know our, our relationship just might not, might not be that good. Or if you struggle to interpret a verse or even stay committed to your quiet time of personal Bible study, then your relationship might not be that good. And is, it, is it if I close my eyes and worship if I sing really loudly, what does it look like? Let's dispel rumors and see what intimacy looks like through Genesis chapter 18 this morning. Would you read with me? And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth. 
and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent and to Sarah and said, quick, three seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. And they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she is in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will, have a, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. Then the men set out from there. They looked down toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him and said, suppose 40 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. 
Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose 30 are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find 30 there. He said, behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. Maybe some of these passages are familiar to you this morning. Abraham's surprised guests, Sarah's quiet, maybe not as quiet as she thought, laughter. Abraham's intercession on behalf of Sodom. Um, these passages all have value within themselves. It could be preached separately, but the thread connecting them is this statement. God desires intimacy with his people. God desires intimacy with his people. He wants us near that we would know him and be known by him. But what does that intimacy with God even mean? We've talked about how this is misunderstood. It's kind of mysterious. Um, in this passage, I want to see a few things. But first, what I want to convince you of is the fact that God does desire intimacy with his people uh, we've been walking through Genesis chapter 17 the last two weeks. What is this whole passage about in Genesis 17? It's about God's covenant with Abraham and then specifically the, the sign of the covenant in circumcision. Well, this covenant, we've been given stipulations. Like we, we heard God say to Abraham, walk before me and be blameless. We've heard God's promises in this covenant. I will multiply you greatly and I will give to you this land and in faith, Abraham obeys the sign of the covenant. And he circumcises not only himself, but everybody in his household. And what's the only thing left to do after this? Besides heal? Eat, right? Eat. We, we need to eat. It's, think of a business meeting that you would have with somebody or a contract that you signed. The deal is made. Let's share a meal together. And celebrate. That, that's, what, that's what we see happen in this very first section of our passage. The Lord appears to Abraham by Oaks of Mamre. He's sitting by his tent. And what do they do? They share a meal together. This is not something that we do today. Just when we close a deal, we go celebrate by going out to eat. This was a common practice in this day and time of covenant meals. We see this in a couple other places in Genesis. Look quickly with me at Genesis 26, verses 28 to 32. Uh, they said, we see plainly the Lord has been with you. So we said, let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you that you will do us no harm just as we have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast and they ate and drank and in the morning they rose early, exchanged oaths, and Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. It was like this, this oath, this pact, 
between these two parties wasn't complete until they shared a meal together. They ate and drank together and then departed in peace. Genesis 31, we see it again. It's between Laban and Jacob. And Laban says, see this heap and the, and the pillar which I have set between you and me? This heap is a witness and the pillar is a witness that I will not pass over this heap to you and you will not pass over this heap and this pillar to me to do harm. The God of Abraham, the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob swore by the fear of his father Isaac. Jacob offered a sacrifice in the hill country and called his kinsmen to eat bread. They ate bread and spent the night in the hill country. Again, there's, there's this agreement between two parties. They talk about the, um, the, the details of the agreement, of the pact, and then they, they celebrate it. It's like they ratify their covenant with this covenant meal. In Genesis 17, God makes a covenant with Abraham and then he visits him to share this meal. This is, in fact, the whole point of covenants. This is the whole point of any covenant that God makes with his people, that he might dwell in the midst of his people. When you you read through all the different times covenants mentioned in Genesis, Exodus, all all the, the Torah, you see this phrase repeated again and again, I will be your God and you will be my people. That is the covenant formula. That is the whole point. It can be boiled down to, I will be your God and you will be my people. The covenant is not simply God's attempt to get Abraham to do his bidding. God's covenants are ways of reestablishing the intimacy we once shared with him. In case you're not convinced of that, look at this phrase that, you know, I know sometimes Genesis feels like a long book, but in all, for all the years that it covers, it's not, which means there is not a single word or phrase in here that's wasted. Look what he says in the beginning, the very first verse. The Lord appeared to Abram, to, to him, by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. What is that in the heat of the day, what does that tell us? A couple things, but the main thing that I want your mind to think back to is Genesis chapter three, verse eight. See if you hear it here. Adam and Eve, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. The man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. This phrase is not used many times in the scripture. I think what it's supposed to do is to recall this. You have the oaks of Mamre, like the garden. Got stuff growing. That we have the Lord appearing in the heat of the day, just like he used to walk with his people in the cool of the day. But at the end of chapter three, verse eight, we see that this intimacy was forfeited when the first man and woman eight of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God's dwelling place on earth where heaven and earth met was lost and until he makes it possible again. We get glimpses of this throughout the Old Testament, God's covenant with his people to reestablish this dwelling, this intimacy that he had with his people. 
We see it in the tabernacle and the temple as the holy place of the Lord's presence dwelling in the midst of his people. But things really start to change when Jesus is born. John's gospel opens like this in verse 14, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And as my, uh, the, the dean of my seminary always pointed out, this word dwelt is the word tabernacled. It's his presence coming to dwell with his people. How are we even supposed to share a meal with God if our intimacy is broken? He has to come to us, and he does. Jesus, the word, with God and God in the beginning, comes down to dwell among us. Jesus shared many meals with people, but in particular, the last meal he shared with his disciples was a covenant meal. It was a new and better covenant in his blood. Ephesians 2, 13 says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of the new covenant was poured out so that we might be brought near to God. And to wrap this argument up, by the end of the Bible, the picture that we have of God's people dwelling in the newly reunited heaven and earth. So near to the Lord that we will see his face. Here in our passage this morning, God draws near to Abraham. He visits him and shows that his desire is for intimacy with his people. This, I hope you're convinced of this. That covenants are not just God has a plan and he's going to choose somebody and he's going to make him do what he wants them to do. But the whole point is to dwell with his people. So where do we see it in this passage? Well, intimacy, the first thing I'd like to say is intimacy with God means keeping his commands. Intimacy with God means keeping his commands. And I don't know if internally you're just groaning. You're like, are you kidding me? This is supposed to be about a relationship. And now you're, it's just about doing what he says. Um, yeah, we'll see. What is funny is that in coming to Abraham, the Lord desires to dwell with him, to share a meal, to ratify this covenant. And how does he do this? Well, he pretty much presents a test. He tests Abraham. And the, the word test isn't used in Genesis 18, but Abraham is said to be dwelling by these oaks of Mamre. And it just happens to be that almost every time we see a tree pop up in the book of Genesis, there's a test presented. Genesis 12, verse 6. We've, we've uh, covered this, but it's been a few weeks ago. It says, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar. He built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So we see Abram dwelling by the oak of Moreh. The Lord appears and he's going to be tested. What was his test in Genesis chapter 12? It was the test of the famine. What is Abram? What are you going to do when the famine is here? Are you going to trust me? 
And we know how the story ends, which is Abram ends up going to Egypt and lying about Sarah being his uh, wife out of fear. I would say that Abram failed that test, right? Think back to Genesis 3. When, when Adam and Eve are dwelling in the garden, the Lord appears to them, and there's this tree of testing. God says, you shall not eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. But they failed the test. They failed to trust God. All this might kind of seem strange to us, that in covenant with God, he tests us. Throughout the scriptures, we see that those who are in covenant with God will be tested. I think this is trying to prove to us that intimacy with God means we will keep his commands. Exodus 19, verses 5 to 6, when God is establishing the Israelites as a nation, he says to them, Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. That's an intimate statement. My treasured possession among all peoples. The Lord tests those he's in covenant with. But you're probably maybe asking the question, wait, what is the test? What's the test? The test is, is this. How will Abraham respond to these sojourners who stop by unannounced? How will he respond to them? How do you respond if you get somebody that knocks on your door that you didn't know was coming and, uh, and you don't know them? You don't necessarily owe them anything? Abraham responds like this. He says, can I, you know, just come in. A, a, a little water, a morsel of bread, just wash your feet. You know, this will be quick. And they say, okay, what does he do? <laughs> Three seahs of flour quickly. Make cake, Sarah. Goes and gets a whole cow slaughtered from the herd. Curds and milk. So like, well, he, didn't, he didn't bring the water. He brought the good stuff. A morsel of bread, three sias. Uh, I, I forget the exact calculation, but basically, th this is a lot of food. This is a lot of food. The cost of these materials alone is, is, is extravagant. The time to prepare this feast, extravagant. To rearrange his schedule, I don't know what he was doing that day, but he wasn't expecting these visitors. How does Abraham respond? He responds with great hospitality. This is something that God is teaching his people throughout the Old Testament, to love the sojourner and to care for the stranger. In fact, Jesus picks up on this again in Matthew 25, 40. He says, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And you clothe the naked, you feed the hungry. Hebrews 13 says it like this, verse two. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. There's the command, and there's the connection to our story today. For thereby, by showing hospitality to strangers, some have entertained angels unawares. Which brings up this question. Maybe you've already been asking yourself this, or maybe you know the answer. 
Who are these people that stop by? We haven't talked about it yet. Who are these people? We've been kind of going back and forth. It's three men appear to him, but also the whole chapter opens up with this phrase, the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre. Does Abram know who they are? Is it that he sees God, he sees these men as representing God, and that's why he's being so hospitable and he's running around, quick, do this and, and feed them with all this. This Hebrews 13.2 leads me to believe that Abram didn't know. This was just an authentic reaction to a visitation by a stranger. This was the level of hospitality that he reached. He didn't, he didn't know. But Abram pa- passes this test, I think, with flying colors. We see here that Abram, because of his intimacy in dwelling with the Lord, he's able to keep the commands of the Lord. I don't think if he, if he, wasn't, um, if he wasn't dwelling with the Lord, then he would not have been able to treat these people in the same way. And I, there's a lot more to say in hospitality, but that's actually what next week's uh, Genesis 19, when we see these same visitors go down to um, Sodom and how they're treated there. We'll talk a lot more about hospitality. How much did Abram know about what was going on? Um, Eventually, Abram knows these people and their identity. There's three people. If you look at Genesis 19.1, you see when they turn and they go towards Sodom, it says the two angels came to Sodom in the evening. And if you look at 18, verse 33, the verse before that, it says the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abram, Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. So what we get we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this either, is that the three men that appear, two of them are angels with the appearance of men. One of them seems to be the Lord and the appearance of a man. Uh, We've seen this again and again. We'll see it multiple times throughout the book of Genesis. But the point is, Abraham, Abraham didn't know who these were when he treated them like this. Eventually, he finds out. So God desires intimacy with his people. He shares a covenant meal with him. And intimacy with God, we know if we have reclaimed some of this intimacy with God, if we keep his commands, Abraham passed the test. There's a little bit of another test, right? That Sarah gets. How does she fare? Not as well. Not as well. Now, um, what happens with Sarah? She's at the door of the tent. She overhears the conversation going on. And the promise that uh, a child shall bear, bear a child, as the Lord has um, said. But we think about all the years that have passed. Think about all the, the many times that God has made this promise again and again and again. I think Sarah's heart was struggling to believe. She even points to. The, the physical reasons of why she, she's finding this hard to believe. The way of women had ceased to be with her. She was beyond the normal, proper childbearing years. So when God makes this promise, as we see in verse 10, it does say the Lord said. And Abram, uh, 
believes, we see Sarah doubt. She laughs to herself. And again, there's no word used for without reason. Verse 12 says, Sarah laughed to herself. This was not something for anybody to hear. And I even wonder if, if this is an audible laugh or just like a, is it even audible? One of those silent internal laughs like, yeah, right. Whatever happened, well, we're supposed to understand that it was supposed to be hidden from the Lord. It was supposed to laugh to herself, but it wasn't hidden. For nothing is hidden from the Lord. Intimacy with God. We have to, we have to, we have to live by and, know by and know the words of Psalm 139. Oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. So not only does the Lord hear an inaudible laugh from Sarah, he knows that she's gonna laugh before she even does it. That's how close the Lord is to us. This is actually the strange part of intimacy with God. He draws near that we would know him and be known by him, but the truth is he already knows us completely. But the kind of intimacy that God desires with us goes beyond familiarity. It goes beyond intellectual knowledge. God doesn't just want to know all the facts about you. He already does. He wants you to live in the midst of his presence with complete trust. A couple chapters ago when God makes the same promise to Abram, Abraham laughs. He laughs, but it is a laughter of joy. It is a, I can't believe this is gonna happen. Sarah's laughter is one of distrust and unbelief. And what does, what does Sarah, uh, or what does God say to Sarah? Uh, this is funny because it's just so terse. I didn't laugh. Yeah, you did. What a gentle rebuke. What a gentle rebuke. If you're a parent and you've ever had your child just bold-faced lie to you, how hard it is to just say, I know you're lying, and not, you better come here and I'm gonna. This gentle rebuke. Sarah denies her laughing distrust and God simply says, come on, Sarah, I know you laughed. This subtle reminder of how God knows everything about us was the most encouraging rebuke God could have given to Sarah because what else had she been saying to herself all these years waiting to bear a child? God doesn't see me. God doesn't know me. But in this gentle rebuke, she is corrected on that. He does. First of all, oops. And second of all, he hears everything I say internally, out loud. He knows everything about me. So we can see this as the scolding of God, but we can also see it as the intimacy of God. And it reminds us that intimacy with God means trusting his word. 
Do you feel close to God? Maybe not. Are you trusting his word? I'm struggling with that. Know his nearness. Know how close he is to you. From here it says, the men set out and went towards Sodom. There's this really interesting, probably the most overlooked section of this chapter. It says, Abram, Abraham went with them to set them on their way. And the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? Shall I hide from him? Again, just hear the language of intimacy throughout this. There are things that I haven't told Abraham, but now that I am in covenant relationship with him, I need to reveal these things. Now, I'm not talking about secret messages from the Lord, but I'm talking about your intimacy with God is dependent upon his revelation to you. And here, intimacy with God means um, trusting his word, but also um, knowing his revelations. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I've chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. God says, There are things I haven't let Abraham know about what I'm doing. I'm going to let him know because I've chosen him, and that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord. Now, this is maybe not as obvious as the other ones, but I think intimacy with God here is shown that it is not just individual. Intimacy with God, there's a communal aspect to it. And particularly here, to be intimate with God means to disciple your family. God is going to reveal things to Abraham that he hasn't revealed to anybody else. Why? That he can command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. Maybe your intimacy with God has been too individual. And it's just been about you and Jesus. It's just been about me and my quiet time. But it hasn't leaked over into how you treat your family and how you present yourself at work, about how you show hospitality to strangers. But God draws near to us that we might invite others to draw near to him as well. And in verse 20, the Lord says, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. Before we get to the last section, I just want to say intimacy here is knowledge, deep knowledge of God's plan that isn't obvious to everybody else. And sometimes that really sounds like a blissful thing, right? If you know the, the depths of God's will and his plan, if you're familiar with what he's gonna do and how he um, is acting in the world, to know, have insight into his sovereign plan, wow, that sounds great. But here we see that Intimacy with God is not all walking in, in pastures amongst the roses. This is agonizing information. I think sometimes when we're familiar with the scriptures and we understand that one day there will be a day where the Lord visits all of the earth 
and there will be nothing hidden that anybody um, who has not drawn near to God will no longer have a, an opportunity to draw near to him. That is intimate knowledge of God's will and plan. And it's, I hope that it's agonizing in the sense of you feel the weight of it. That closeness to God, if it's difficult, if it's hard, it doesn't mean you're far off. It, it may mean that you just accurately understand what's going on. I think of David, who gained insight into uh, that his child would die. That was knowledge that God gave him that no person can bear. It's not always that the more you know about God, the easier it is. Intimacy is heavy. I think you know this. If you're in a, a, a marriage relationship, there are things that you have to talk about that are heavy, things that you have to bear together. And the point is not to let the heavy topics and the burdens that you share together to tear apart your intimacy, but to draw you closer. I think that's exactly what, what happens here. Look, the, the most important I think verses in this passage are 22 and 23. So the men, these two angels in the appearance of men, turned from there and went towards Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. <coughs> then Abraham, Abraham drew near and said, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? you hear hard things about God and his plan? Do you run away? Or do you stand before the Lord in his presence and draw near and continue deepening your relationship? Abraham draws near and he asks this question, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Within intimacy with God, we should have a humble boldness. A humble boldness. Again and again in this passage, we see Abraham, Abraham saying, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. He says it again. And then in verse 32, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Abraham knows that as he comes before the Lord in his presence, before his face, and he draws near to ask questions such as these, that he has to be humble. Intimacy with the Lord is not just so that you can get him to do your bidding. And if God isn't answering your questions or your prayers in the way that you want him to, that doesn't mean that he's not near. Abraham here stands in a long line of humble intercessors that were incredibly close to the Lord. Moses intercedes on behalf of the Israelites. Paul says that he wishes that he could count himself accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of his brothers. Christ intercedes on our behalf, even now. Are these people far off from God? No, they have drawn near. And Abraham here is a Christ-like figure who intercedes on behalf of sinners. What's important is that he did not 
ask God to deny his justice. You see how he says this. Suppose there are 50 righteous, verse 24, within the city. Will you sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall the judge of all the earth do what is not, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Abraham obviously knew God's righteous judgment. He knew what justice for the sinner looked like. But this text, it's leading us to feel how the intimacy between Abraham and the Lord is deepening. He stands before the Lord, he draws near, and he petitions on behalf of the righteous. He petitions on behalf of the righteous, but what is his question? Again and again and again, he asks it like this. Suppose, the first one, will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Abraham is not asking him to forget his justice, but he is asking for God to spare the wicked for the sake of the righteous. In humble intercession, Abraham approaches God on the basis of his mercy. On the basis of his mercy. Abraham has already seen this because he has failed the test in the past and God invites him back into relationship with him. He says, I know you failed. I know you have failed to trust my promises but I'm not done with you. I'm gonna remember my covenant. I'm gonna act on the basis of my mercy and my faithfulness and continue with my promises towards you. See, Genesis 12 wasn't that long ago. I mean, not just like six months, it's years ago. But Abraham, he doesn't have this to know who God is. He's learning who God is as he interacts with him. Exactly how merciful is the Lord? Exactly how merciful is the Lord? That's what Abraham is learning. But he knows he's just, and he knows he's merciful, and he's just inching towards the heart of God. 50, what's the Lord's response? I'll spare the wicked for the sake of the 50. 45, yeah, I'll do it. 40, yeah, 30, yeah, 20, yeah, I'll do that too, 10, yeah. And then he stops. He stops at 10 without ever yet hearing a no from God. He never heard a no from God while he was interceding on behalf of Sodom, the infamous city. And it begs this question, why, why did he stop? Why did he stop at 10? I think probably he just got scared. 
He had already asked a lot. And he's asking God a lot to spare an entire city for the sake of 10 righteous. And I also, I wonder, does Abraham, Abraham even think that there are 10 righteous there? I mean, he's whittling God down because 50, you know what, now that I think about it, there's probably not 50 there. All the way down to 10. And then he stops. He's asking too much of God. And it begs the question, how many, how many people actually have to be righteous in order for God to spare and forgive the wicked? We know the answer to this question. How many people have to be righteous in order to spare the wicked? Our entire lives, our entire existence is dependent upon the answer to this question. Being one. One. I think if Abraham had asked the question, will you spare the wicked for the sake of one righteous, God would have said, I will. Our God is all about sparing the wicked. Romans 8.32 says it like this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Abraham is discovering the depths of God's mercy in this passage, but he doesn't reach the bottom. For as long as I have known the Lord, I have not reached the bottom, the depths of his mercy. You see, intimacy with God means knowing his mercy. We cannot have intimacy with God without knowing his mercy. The deeper you go in your knowledge of God, the more you know him as merciful. I don't know. I don't know if that's your reaction. When you think of your closeness to God, when you think of your intimacy with him, when you think of drawing near to him, are you afraid? Does he just seem like the lawgiver? Does he just seem like the punisher? Or do you see him as a merciful father? Our God will spare the wicked. He's just, which means he will not spare the wicked for nothing, but he will spare the wicked for the one righteous Jesus Christ. If you know the end of the story, when God goes here, the angels go, God will see there are no righteous. There are no righteous in the city. So the city is not spared. Lot's family will be spared. <clears throat> but there is a day, there's a day coming when the righteous judge of all the earth will visit. Will he find 50 righteous here? 
will he find 45, 40, 30, 20, 10? The truth is he won't, um, myself included. But the good news is that he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. If you are nervous about drawing close to the Lord because you know his justice and you know his righteousness, will you this morning depend on his mercy and draw near to him, knowing and trusting that the depth of his mercy is beyond anything that we could ever imagine? Would you pray with me? God, we want to know you. We want to know you in real ways, not what cultural Christianity says, where we have to sing as loud as we can, or close our eyes and worship, or lift up our hands, or wear certain kind of clothes and not do certain kinds of things. We want to know you how the scriptures present an intimate relationship with you. We want to dwell in your presence. We want to draw near to boldly approach your throne. God, would you help our hearts be unsatisfied if we don't understand ourselves as living in your presence? Help us to show our intimacy with you in the way we keep your commands. That to be Christ-like in the way we live is a form of intimacy And how we treat others, strangers, the sojourners, the surprised guests, to know that you are nearer to us than we might even realize. To know that you hear our every thought, our every prayer, our every hope, despair, and to trust your promises. And for all the weight that knowing you puts on our shoulders, would it be alleviated for the fact that the deeper we know you, the deeper we know you as merciful. Help us to draw near to you now, even in these last moments of worship. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Christ Central Church sermon series. To find our gathering location and more sermons, visit ChristCentralChurch.net.